All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For those of you that are here tonight for the first time, we're glad that you're here. At the same time, let me just tell you, we'll do our best to get through this section, but we probably won't because we're, <laughs> we're on our second or third time uh, looking at this section, but there's so much here. Uh, my whole desire to teach the Word of God is I don't have anything to say, but God's Word has a lot to say. And I've come to realize over the years from studying His Word and being able to teach it in the way that He's gifted me and called me to is, in order to study the Word of God, you need to look at the context of the passage and look at what it's saying and who it was written to and what are they trying to say. But you're, no, you're, not, you're not there yet if you just look at that. You now need to take what you think you have pulled out of that passage in the interpretation from the context. You now need to check that against the whole of Scripture. Because God wrote the whole thing. And if your interpretation doesn't match up with the whole of the book, you can't have the correct interpretation. And so my desire in teaching the books of the Bible that we've been going through, and like I say, if you haven't been to the website, please go to the website, justpreacherministries.org, and you'll see we've done Revelation and Romans and Hebrews and First Peter and Second Peter and... We've already been through Galatians, and now we're in Ephesians, and we're going to one day, if Jesus doesn't come back, get into Philippians and Colossians and so on. But as we do, my desire is to pull out of here what's here in the context and then show you how the whole of Scripture talks about that as well. And that's what our purpose is, and I'm excited about that. So I'm going to read to you the section we've been diving into for the last couple of weeks in verses 14 through 21 of Ephesians 3. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, last week we left off in the middle of verse 17. We left off at the end about how, how Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we looked at there was a difference between Jesus being in your heart and Christ dwelling in your heart. And if you remember, well, go with me real quick. Flip back a page in your Bibles probably to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 13 and 14. Paul says, In Him, meaning in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Look what Paul says. He says, When you heard the word of salvation and the message of the gospel, when you believed, what happened? You were sealed by who? By the Holy Spirit. If you remember back in John chapter 14 and chapter 15 and chapter 16, and Jesus is talking about how it's good that he goes away, because when he goes away, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he said he's with you and he's going to be in you. And, and then he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the gift that the Father promised. And you know, in Acts chapter 2, at the day of Pentecost, while they were praying, the Holy Spirit came into that room. And that pillar of fire that used to be above the tabernacle, you remember back in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter, I think it's chapter 15, or chapter 9, Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 and following, you'll see that when God had Moses and those Israelites build the tabernacle, when his spirit came to indwell it that day, a pillar of fire came to rest above it. And whenever it moved, they, whenever God moved, they moved and so on. Well, that same pillar of fire came into that upper room and it divided into individual little pillars of fire that came to rest over the heads of each of the believers. In other words, God signified His Spirit coming to indwell the tabernacle, and He put a pillar of fire, cloud by day, and a fire by night. He signified, My Spirit is now dwelling here. And then what does He do in the upper room? We get all caught up in all the tongue stuff, because the Scripture said it looked like tongues. We missed what happened. That pillar of fire came into that room and divided and to individual pillars of fire that came to rest over the head of each of the believers because now the Holy Spirit had come to indwell them. And they had become now living, moving tabernacles and temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Paul says? Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So when you get saved, the Bible's very clear, that the moment you trust Christ and God seals it, seals the deal, with His Spirit. Now that's very important because the real issue isn't not that you prayed a prayer or that you were baptized or that you walked an aisle or anything like that. The issue is, has Jesus come to live inside of you? 2 Chronicles 13.5 puts it this way, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? 
Let me show you something real quick. We stay here in Ephesians with a bookmark. Go with me to John chapter 2. <clears throat> Look at verses 23 and 24. It says, Now when he, meaning Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Sounds like they're saved, doesn't it? But look at verse 24. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Look at that. They saw the miracles he was doing and they believed. But Jesus didn't seal the deal. Because God knows whether or not we truly understand and whether or not we truly believe. The Bible says in the parable of the soils there will be some that spring up Look like salvation, but trouble comes and they go away because they had no root. It wasn't real salvation. Yeah, it may fool you and me, and it's not for us to figure out who's saved and who's not. The Bible says there's going to be weeds among the wheat, and we're not to try to figure out who is and who isn't. But we are to make sure that what's happening in us has been sealed by the Spirit of God. I think we could go on with the parable of the soils, and you see that the seed fell on the thorny soil, and it sprung up. Sure, looked like salvation, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choked it. That's what happened to Judas, isn't it? He loved money, and he was rooting for this kind of a life. And the closer he got to the cross, the more he started to realize, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for this. Jesus isn't going to be the kind of Messiah that I wanted. And money was more interested, interesting to him, and he went away. The Bible says that he didn't lose his salvation. The Bible says he never had it. There's a big difference between belief and faith. And so that's why I say to you folks, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, God seals you with His Spirit, and whoa, it says in Romans chapter 8 that His Spirit testifies with our spirit that we're His children. Amen. You know if you're His. Amen. If you're sitting here today saying, man, I hope so, Amen. boy, folks, get that settled. As Peter says, make your calling and election sure. Now, here's the thing. Keep this in mind. Just because Jesus is in you now doesn't mean that He's dwelling in your hearts through faith. And that's where Paul now, he's writing to who? Go back to Ephesians. He's writing to who? He's writing to Christians, isn't he? He's been talking about this wonderful salvation that we have. And then he says this. He says, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's talking about, he's talking to believers who already have the Spirit of God within them, but dwelling is different. And as we got into it at the end of last week's session, and we're not going to rehash it because I want to move into this week's session. At the end of last week's session, we talked about that's the abiding relationship. And in order for that to happen, the first part of his prayer has to happen. And that means that God gives us strength in our inner being. May God grant you strength in your inner being. Folks, as we're going to see, take a look here, how often Paul keeps reiterating the fact that everything he's praying for us, we can't do. God has to do it for us. And let's look at there, look in verse uh, uh, 18, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Did you catch that? It's a gift. By the way, how do we receive all of God's gifts? We work hard for them? Faith. We believe that what he said he'll do. You ask him and you believe that he will. And then he goes on later and he says in verse, uh, um, Sorry, that was verse 16. This is verse 18 here. He goes in that you may have strength. This is going to be the second part of his prayer that we're going to get into tonight. That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to what? To the power at work. Whose power? God's power, according to the spirit that's within us, at work in us. Folks, all the way through, I want you to see, as we get into these three things that Paul prayed for Christians, first thing is that we would be strengthened in our inner being, in our inner man, that God would grant us that strength that we need to move forward in our walk with Him. Thank God we're saved. Folks, there's way more to it than just being saved. Salvation is not just your justification, but it's also your sanctification and one day the glorification. It's the whole process. God sees the whole thing and he's looking at the whole project. Too many of us say, well, I'm thank God I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. No, 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 no. There's more to it than that. And Paul says, my prayer, you Christians, as he said in chapter one, is that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you would understand all that is still available to you with what you've received. Now he gets into specifics and he says, I pray that you would receive from God as a gift, strengthening in your inner being. And then he says, I also pray that God would give you the strength, and here's where we're going tonight, the strength to comprehend with all the saints the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth 
of God's love. Now, before we can get into that, I have to deal with something. As I kind of worked on my notes here to kind of move into the second part of the prayer. Remember, the first part of his prayer is that we would grant, he would give us strength in our inner being, in our inner man. And the second part is that we would understand the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. And as I started to work on my notes in order to, to, to go there, God says there's something you got to show them first. There's something you, they need to understand. So how do we receive this strength, not only in our inner man, but also to be able to comprehend his love? How do we receive it? By faith. Now, we know the answer. Now, let's be honest. I've been preaching for almost 30 years. Whenever I ask people similar questions along that line, Christians have no problem answering that question. Oh, it's by faith. I'm going to ask you a question. How you doing? I mean, you know the answer. But let's be honest. Don't we struggle with that strength? Don't we struggle with the flesh still? Don't we? Now, please don't hear. As I get into where we're going, I'm not one of these ones that's going to teach sinless perfection. And pretty soon you'll never even have a struggle with your flesh anymore. No. For years, I used to think that the closer I got to God, the more and more the world would fall away and the easier it would be in my struggle. And then one day I came to realize that Jesus was in the garden right before the cross and he was tempted to not go to the cross. And I'm thinking, if Jesus, who is God, was still tempted right up to the end, guess what, Jim? You're going to still struggle against this flesh the rest of your life. So please don't hear that I'm saying, boy, if you guys learn what I'm trying to teach you, you won't have this struggle anymore. I'm not going there. That's bad teaching. But I also know that Paul didn't pray this for us for no reason. He says, I want you to understand the power that is available for those of us who have Christ in us. And it's received by faith. But here's part of the problem. We know the answer, but we struggle with it. And so what I want to do is I want to take you back. We're just going to look at these scriptures real quick. I want to take you back to some of the scriptures we've kind of grown up with. We've known all our life. But I want to emphasize a certain aspect of each of these verses. And I want to teach you to start meditating on them in this way. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. If I were to start even just quoting this passage to you, you could finish it. But I want you to see it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Probably one of the first passages of the Bible you ever learned. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And what are those next two words? And He what? He will make your path straight or direct your path, depending on your translation. Folks, here's what I want to teach you how to meditate on the Word of God. Memorize that simple little passage. It's very easy, but continue to think about the fact that He said He will. He will. He will direct my paths. He will show me. I can promise you, many of you right now are going through stuff where you've got decisions you've got to make. How am I going to handle this? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to take that job change? Am I supposed to pull the plug, unfortunately? Some of us have to make those decisions with loved ones who are sick and whatever. I can, in this world, you will have trouble. And not only that, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Folks, if you're breathing, you're going through something right now. And God's using it as a shaping process to conform us into his image. But here's what I want to ask you. Do you really believe that he'll show you? See, it's one thing to say, I know he will. It's another thing to know he will. He will. He will. He will. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 28 through 30. I'm going to be preaching on this passage uh, Sunday at LifePoint. As we're in our series of embracing God's discipline and moving into his rest. In Matthew 28, sorry, chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, what? I will give you rest. But there's more to it than that. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And once again, look at it. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The problem with many of us, though, is, is a lot of us say, yeah, that sounds real good. Jim, he probably will make your path straight. You know how to hear him talk. You know how to get his leadership and stuff like that. I just don't. I'm different. Yeah, he, I know he says he'll give rest for your souls, but I've never experienced it. 
We're moving into something tonight that I need to kind of teach you to understand what the Bible says about it before I can teach you about his love, because we've got to blow up some strongholds tonight. The Bible talks about how strongholds keep us from really understanding the truth of who God is. And so I can pound scripture into your head, but until that stronghold is removed, it, it's not going to help you. But here he says, I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls. One of the ways that God began to help me understand the truth of his word and have it move from here to here was to meditate on his word. And he kept saying to me, I will, Jim. I will, Jim. Listen closely to what's going on here. Have you ever looked closely at Psalm 23 where David starts talking and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. He, he, he. But in the middle of that, he turns the pronouns. You prepare a place for me. You anoint my head. You understand what I'm saying? There's something that happens to us when we spend the time in his word and we start looking at it and studying it and meditating on it. All of a sudden it moves from a head knowledge to, you know what? I think I believe it now. And folks, that's very, very important for us because I can talk to you all I want about Ephesians chapter three and Paul's prayer for you that you would know the height, the width, the depth of the breadth, the love of God. But if you're still stuck on whether or not he will or whether or not you will, I can't help you. I can't help you. Let me show you one more. Go to James chapter one. Just today, as I was driving to go preach at Men in Motion at noon, I was talking with the Lord and he kind of opened my eyes to something. He said, Jim, when I was on the earth, James chapter one, by the way, verse five is where we begin. He said, Jim, when I was on the earth, I was called rabbi, teacher. And I thought, yeah. He said, but too many people today are trying to learn about me. They read his wor my word to find out about me. He said, I've come to live in you so that I could teach you myself. And that what he just said in Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly heart and you will. He says, I and he started to speak to me. He said, Jim, don't study to find out about me. So you can tell people about me. Let me teach you. Let me teach you. And folks, let me just tell you, I have been called by God to communicate his word and to preach and to teach it. But ultimately, whether or not you're really going to get it is going to ultimately happen when you learn how to recognize his voice in your life. And you don't just believe a lot of things that Jim says, but actually you actually it moves from he will to you will. You will. Yeah, it, it's definitely. Yes, but I'm going to actually say that it's, it, unfortunately, that may not be always true. Because what did Jesus say about the Pharisees and all those people? He says, you diligently study the scriptures. These are the ones that talk about me. Exactly. That's exactly it. The word is the beginning. But if we say, well, I read it, I read it. Because a lot of Christians say, hey, I read it all the time. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good. That's because they never learned to really meditate and let God take it and move it from here to here. And we'll get to that stronghold thing in just a second. Let me show you James chapter one. Look at verses five through eight. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He didn't say make an appointment with the pastor. I used to think it was my job to tell you what God had to say till one day he showed me I wasn't the Holy Spirit. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And what? It will. It will be given to him. Folks, don't. I could just keep on going. Then he goes on and says what? Ask and don't doubt. I don't know who out here needs to hear this, but I know many of us struggle with the fact of that sounds wonderful. But I've had Christians all over this country, deacons, even pastors say, I've never heard God speak. This whole, all my, this one pastor, he'd been a pastor for 30 years. He said, my whole life of ministry has been, let's try it. It didn't work. Must not have been God's will. He says the whole idea of knowing that he's leading, knowing that he, he's directing. I'll ask you a simple question. Has Satan ever put a thought in your head? I think we know the answer to that one, don't we? You know what's interesting is all across the country, Christians have no trouble acknowledging that Satan will put a thought in their head. 
But when I ask them, has God ever talked to you? They go, I don't know. But you'll acknowledge just like that that Satan talks to you. And even you, and even you sometimes, yeah, God, God speaks direct and straight and it's clear and it's loving. But folks, let me just tell you, just as much as Satan can put a thought in your head, your heavenly father who lives in you can put a thought in your head. And he does. He does. You over time learn to recognize, wait a minute, where did that come? That's my father talking. And in time you will learn. It takes practice. It takes practice. I just, it, it's Kent, right? I just met you today. If I were to call you up on the phone and say, hey, Ken, how's it going? You'd probably go, fine, who is this, right? But if we'd gotten to know each other and we learned to recognize each other's voice, we don't need caller ID, you could call me and i say, hey, Ken, how's it going, right? We learn to recognize each other's voice. In the same way, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans, guys. I'm gonna come to you. When the Spirit comes, He's going to lead you and guide you and remind you and teach you. And folks, there's an intimacy in your walk with the Lord. This is what Paul's praying for. He says, you got Jesus in you already. I'm praying that He would dwell in your hearts through faith and that abiding relationship. And that He would grant you strength and the power of His Spirit to give you this strengthening in your inner being. You've already been made new, but you're in that process still. And before we can even move into understanding the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of God, we've got to blow up a stronghold. And go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's look closely what this passage says about strongholds. See, because there's confusion when it comes to strongholds. People think, well, I, I struggle with this certain sin and that's a stronghold in my life. And I'm going to show you scripturally that's not the case. That actually whatever sin you struggle with is not the stronghold. The stronghold is the thought that you can't win over that sin. The stronghold is a spiritual thing. The stronghold is something that Satan does in our minds to keep us from understanding the truth of who we are in God and what God's power is available to us. What Paul's praying now for us is a, a demolishing of the strongholds, if you will. All right. Is it possible for a Christian to be saved and go to heaven and not really move into the depth and the breadth of the width of God's love? Yes. yes. But the reason it doesn't move into it is because Satan's put a stronghold in their mind and he keeps them from thinking that they ever will. It becomes a it becomes a belief system, and that's the whole point. The stronghold is not the sin you struggle with. The stronghold is you thinking that you can't kick it or that it won't go away. Go right ahead, Mark. Why didn't he just say the infinite love? There is no width, depth, breadth. <laughs> We're going to get to that in just a second. If you can hang on, to when, if I ever get to that, that part of the prayer, you'll see. But look at 2 Corinthians 10. I, I understand. Hurry up. I, I, res I respect that, Mark. In a second... Second Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verses 3 through 5. Look at what the scripture says here. And if I was in 2 Corinthians, it would make a lot more sense to me as I quickly read it ahead here. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, windy up here. There we go. Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Remember, we're going to get to eventually in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our real battle is going on in the spiritual realm. He says, and we have divine power to demolish strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Did you catch that? And we take every what? thought captive to obey Christ. Folks, if you try to keep reading it, it'll get confusing to you because he made this statement in the middle of dealing with something else. But in this here, we can see that the scripture is teaching that the stronghold is thoughts that keep us blocked to the who God really is. And you need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to the truth. If you're struggling with whether or not God really loves you or even likes you, and yeah, I know I'm saved because he promised he would give me eternal life if I trusted him, but I'm just not living like he wants me to, and I know he can't be happy with me. Folks, let me tell you, take every thought and line it up with the truth of what God has said. The Bible says he's poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. We're going to look at that verse in a little bit. You, you want to move in to understand the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of the love of God? As we start trying to go into that and swim in it, you've got to first let God demolish that stronghold. And you need to take every thought and you make it captive and make it line up with the truth. He will direct my path. He will give me rest. He will give me wisdom. He will, he will, he will, he will. And once you finally get over that hurdle, and by the way, you can't get over that hurdle unless you ask God to give you the grace. But you turn to him, you turn to him and he will. 
He will. That's why he says to us in Romans 6, therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, let's go look at the, the prayer, the second part of the prayer. Remember, the first part of the prayer back in Ephesians chapter 3 is that we receive his strength in our inner man. Now, look at the second part. That being rooted, the second part of verse 17, that being rooted and grounded in love, we may have strength, again, given to us by God, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Actually, the rest of that second part that I read is actually the third part of his prayer, which we'll get to next week and what it means to receive the fullness of, the, of God. And when we get to that, that's going to blow your mind because you're going to see some things in there that you never thought were even possible for you. But the Bible says they are. But for tonight, let's move into what Paul says. He says, I pray that you would have strength to comprehend what? That was a question. <laughs> Have you ever thought about the words he chose? Remember, every word's God breathed. Spirit of God's leading him what to write. And like you just said, Mark, why don't you just say the infinite? But I think it's important. Have you ever, it's the height, the width, the depth, the breadth. Doesn't this sound like you're swimming in it? He went in every direction he can think of. That's four dimensions. But look closely at what he says. That you would be able to know this love that's beyond what? Let's say it again. Paul says, I'm praying that you would know something that's unknowable. It's death. Well, you nailed it. You got it. Did you hear what she just said? Say it again good and loud for us. I said it's the knowing of experience. Actually, yes. If you actually look at the Greek words, you'll realize there's two different words for know here. The first one, when he says that you may know, it's actually an experiential knowledge. Do you remember how in the Genesis, the Bible says that Adam knew his wife, Eve? And we know what it really meant. Right. That's a knowing that is different from head knowledge. You can take the course. Or you can know. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul says this is a knowledge that is experiential. It moves beyond knowing it here. Like I've told you before, in order to get your driver's license, you've got to pass how many tests? Two. In order to get your driver's license, you've got to pass a written test. And once you pass the written test, do they give you a license? No, you've got to pass what? The driving test. The Christian church today has, well, we can pass the written test. We've had plenty of Bible studies and classes and seminars and and discipleship courses. We've even got all the certificates and diplomas. We know how to pass the written test when it comes to the Christian walk. But how are we doing on the driving test? Paul says, my prayer is that you would understand experientially this love that is beyond knowing it this way. Isn't that a reference though, Jim, that all of us know that God is love? But isn't it a reference to his infinite grace? Without question. I actually, personally, from my understanding of the scriptures, Fred, I think the Bible teaches that we'll spend eternity getting to know the depth of who he is. Because you know what? I don't think the Bible says that we'll ever be God. And so he'll always be God and us not God, which means we will never, ever fully plunge the depths of who he is for eternity even. Or how much he loves us. Or how much he loves us. Exactly. But are you diving in at least? Are we diving into that or are we just tipping our toes in? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so is great, folks. But if that's as far as you get, because some of us, we, let's be honest, we need to really experience the love of Christ that's beyond that kind of knowledge. If you ever really took a look at the study of Peter and what happened in his relationship with the Lord Jesus and how he boldly said, I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I love you the most. How do you do? Jesus says, actually, and as you already had me point out to you before, Jesus calls him Simon by his old name after he's already called him by his new name, calls him Simon there in Luke 22. But when he tells him about how he's going to fall, he says, and I tell you, Peter, and he calls him by his new name. Jesus knew he was going to fall, but he still loved him. And he said, and when you return, strengthen the brothers. Of course, when Peter denies him, he's ashamed and he runs off in tears. What's the first thing Jesus did when he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures? He ran to go appear to Peter. 
He told the women, you go tell the disciples and Peter. The book of James, sorry, the book of uh, uh, Corinthians tells us that in chapter 15 that he appeared first to Peter. We see in Luke 24 when he appears to the two men on the road to Emmaus and they run back to the upper room. They said he's already appeared to the women and Peter. Jesus, the first thing he did was to go chase Peter down. I think it had to blow Peter's mind to say, why would I be the first one you appear to? Why would you go chase me down? I'm the least. He says, you still don't get it, do you? I love you all the same. But you didn't understand that and you needed to know right now. Have you ever thought about the, well, have you ever thought about the, the rainbow? Yes, God made a promise that we can take, that he'll never flood the whole earth again to destroy it. But have you ever thought about the fact that the rainbow wasn't just for us? Who was the rainbow really for? It was for Noah. How many of you have ever been in a car accident? What happened when you came to that same intersection again later on? You had a wave of fear, didn't you? You had that, oh, you know what I'm talking about. Put yourself in Noah's shoes, folks. Noah had never seen rain, ever. The Bible says there hadn't been rain. God had been watering the ground from the, the springs of the deep. And all of a sudden, the first time the clouds come out and start dropping stuff, what happens? Floods the whole earth. I guarantee you, from then on, whenever he heard a thunderstorm or a cloud, the dude was probably going to need a new pair of diapers. <laughs> but guess what? God, knowing that, said, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to put it in the sky to remind you and all creation, I'll never do that again. We got Abraham. Abraham, in chapter 15, cries out to God and he says, what will you give me since I'm still childless? And God says, child from your own body. Eliezer, your servant's not going to be your heir. And the Bible says he believed him. And then God says something else to him. He says, also, I want you to know this. Come out of here and count the stars. That's how many offspring you're going to have. And this land, I'm going to give it to you. And Abraham says, how shall I know this? And God does an amazing thing where he has him take these animals and cut them in half and make like a little path with dead animals on one side and dead animals on the other side. And that Bible says that night he put Abram into a little bit of a sleep and God himself walked between the pieces. And that was the way they used to back then make a covenant with each other. And they signed a treaty or a contract. What they would do is they would kill animals and put them dead half bodies on each side and they walk between the pieces and then symbolically saying, same thing happened to me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. And God, does, he, does God need to say Scout's honor? If he's God, he says it. But because he knew Abram needed a special touch, God walked between the pieces, folks. He didn't have to. He could have said, I'm God. Take my word for it. But because he knew his child and he knew he needed that touch, he gave him a taste even more of the depth of his love. And folks, he knows every one of us in a way in which we will never understand. And just like those of you who have more than one kid, even though you love them all, you relate to them all in a different way because of their makeup and their personalities and so on. Your heavenly father knows you this as much. And there will be times that he will give you that special touch. I've shared this with some a while back, but I don't know if some of you have heard this, but years ago when I was in New Orleans as an associate pastor, I was having one of those times in my walk with the Lord where God had gotten quiet. And I was associate pastor there and we had two worship services there at this church. I was at there in New Orleans and one Sunday morning I got there and it had been just one of those, the beginning of one of those days where I was, I honestly, I had, hadn't heard God speak and I was wondering if I even knew where I was. You ever had one of those days, God, you even know I'm here? And I showed up for the worship service and the pastor says, Jim, the sound man didn't show up. Would you just go make sure it doesn't go, you know? And I said, I can do that because I don't know anything else about the soundboard. But I went up and, and at this church, the soundboard was actually, the sanctuary sat a thousand people, but the soundboard was just like a little, like a little box just like that, but it came out of the wall about two stories up in the air. And that's all it was, just this box that came out of the wall and you sat up there above everybody else and I just was there in case anything made a noise, I just slide the slider down. But I'm sitting up there and I prayed a hard prayer. That's all Chris does. And, uh, and uh, I, I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I need a touch from you. Would you please tell me you're here? Would you please tell me you know that I'm here? 
you know, I'm sitting up in the balcony alone with God. He's definitely going to do it right then. There's going to be a shaft of light. There's going to be something, you know. The soloist is going to look up into the box and just say, this is for you. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. The whole service, I'm looking and nothing happens. I go and teach my Sunday school class. Looking for God's touch, nothing. I go to the second service. That's the one that has the choir. That's the one God was really going to choose, okay? So that's the one God's going to do it with. And I knew that was the service. And I was expecting, and at the end of the whole service, nothing. I go get some lunch with Becky and go home and say, God, where are you? And that afternoon, I had to teach a discipleship training class. And maybe God's going to talk to me during the class. Nothing. As I finished teaching the class and I'm heading to the evening service, this one man, and he, I'll be honest with you, he was weird. Every church has him. This guy made up for every church. He walks up to me and he hands me these two, I found out later they were persimmons. He goes, these are yours. Like, great, thank you, what are they? He goes, they're persimmons. Like, okay, thanks, what's the... Never mind. I don't want to get into a conversation. I'm late for church. And I put the two persimmons on the desk in my office. And I went to church. Okay, God, you're going to speak to me. This, I mean, this is what you've been waiting for the last service today. This is, now I know what you're going to do. This is the time you're going to speak. Nothing. I go home, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a little disappointed in God. Because I asked, I begged, I watched, I listened. And finally I go to bed. Phone rings about 10, 1030 that night. It's a young man, and he didn't mind me sharing his name. His name's Dan, Dan Julik. And Dan calls me from Palm Beach Atlantic. And he said, Jim, I needed to call you because I'm down here wondering if God even knows I'm here. And he just told me to call you. And that's when it clicked. You see, when I became youth pastor in 1988 at First Baptist Indy Atlantic, Dan was in the youth group. And he was in a real tough time in his life because his older brother, whom he loved, had just committed suicide. And it was a real tough time in that whole family's life. And Dan was a young kid, and he and I became buds. And Dan followed me all around. And so we started playing games because he loved word games. And we would say, we, we would we'd make up a word for the day. And we had to try to use that word in conversation without people catching that you using the same word. And every time you use that word, you got a point. Like boy howdy was one of the words. And you had to say boy howdy in, in your sentence. And, and if nobody caught on, every time you used boy howdy, we kept track and we'd get points. And then we'd have another word for the next day and so on. Well, one day we chose the word persimmon. And persimmon became our favorite word. And from then on, that was the only word we used. We had to try to get persimmon into a, a sentence somehow or into a conversation. And I said, Dan, guess what happened today? A man walked up to me and handed me two of the biggest persimmons I have ever seen in my life. God knows where you are and he knows where I am. And in his own way... We had that peace and we went to sleep. Folks, let me just tell you, I'm not going to tell you the love of God's going to feel like this or it's going to be like that. But I will tell you this much. If Paul prayed for that, we would move into it and dive into it. It is available to you. And he will. He will give you that touch that you need when you need it and how you need it. But if you look closely at this passage, you'll see there are some specific things that he prays for and they will help us understand he prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in God's love. In order to really move into that understanding of his love for us, look closely. Those two words, by the way, rooted and grounded, are two different type of words. One's a kind of a gardening picture of the plant that has just got its roots dug down in the soil. And the grounded is a picture of a foundational thing. If you're going to build a building, you make sure the foundation is secure. And he says, my prayer is that you, being rooted and grounded in God's love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the height, the width, the depth, the breadth, the love of God. This is very important. I know a lot of people struggle with whether or not you can lose your salvation. Folks, I don't have time to get into that, but the Bible is one of the most provable, most clear teachings in all the Scripture, that if you have truly received His Spirit, remember what we said at the beginning, that's the key. If His Spirit has come to seal you, you're sealed. 
If you still struggle with whether or not you can lose your salvation, you won't even be rooted and grounded in His love. And you're not going to be able to ever move in to understand the height, the width, the depth, the breadth, the love of God if you're still worrying about maybe I'll lose my salvation. It is nothing you did to get it. He gave it to you because of faith. And He's the one who sealed it. Romans chapter 11, verse 29 says, His, God, His gifts and His call are irrevocable. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. But then He says something else. Look at what He says here. He said that we would have the strength to comprehend, again, from coming from him, how, with who? Now, this is important. It's no accident that he said that we would learn to comprehend it with all the saints. I think the Bible teaches folks that if you're really going to understand the love of God, you have to have an understanding of a love for each other. It has to happen in community. You cannot just put yourself on an island and say, I'm just going to learn about the love of God. He has designed it that we would learn of his love in a community. He's put us together for a reason. And we're going to look at some of these scriptures. Look, look at what it says. Go to Romans chapter 5. Yes, go ahead. Question, sort of. I'm, I, his use of words here is, is curious to me. You would, you would think that he would say that you being rooted and grounded in love may comprehend with all the saints that were but his prayer is that you may have the strength to comprehend. Yes, because, and, and this is where we're going to end up, but I, it's okay, I'll touch on it right now, but we're going to end up here. Everything that God expects for us and wants to give us, he has to even give us the strength to do it. I mean, we've got to understand, we, we can all quote, apart from him, I can do nothing. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Everything, and we're, like I say, if you can hang on, John, when we, we're going to get there in just a little bit. Everything that he commands, everything that he wants of us, everything that he offers, we can't even get it without him. Now, again, please don't hear me as one of these people that says, well, God's chosen some to go to heaven and some to go to hell, and we have no say. It's all done by God. No, no, no. The truth of God's sovereignty does not remove man's responsibility. But that's why he's praised it, and that's what we, we looked at that at the beginning. All the way through this prayer, he says that he may grant you that you may give the, receive the strength to understand it. Supernaturally is the only way you're really going to move into this. Let me ask you this question, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but have there ever been times in your life where you thought about quitting? I have. I didn't say, not you. No, man, yes, I have. I'm as human as you are. There have been times I've doubted. There have been times I've wondered. The good news is I'm not holding on to him. He's holding on to me, and thank God for his strength to be even to continue this walk of faith, he has to give me the strength to do it. So even to comprehend it, he says, I'm praying that God will give you the strength to even move into this. We have to understand it still has to come. You have to go to him. You can't say, I want to know the love of God and I'm going to go. No, no, no. God, I want to know your love. And you say it's available and you say I can, please. Yes, go ahead. Well, who can comprehend the uncomprehendable? <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. The ground being a foundation that you build something on, right? but root is also a source of energy and strength. Sure is. Like I say, we could spend all night just on rooted and grounded, but that's exactly it. That's a good point. Again, that's why it's important. It starts with, folks, do you know you're his? Has he sealed you with his spirit? Okay, that's the starting point. Let it grow from there now. Let it grow from there. Look, Romans chapter 5, listen to verses 5 through 11. And folks, begin to let the spirit of God say, God, help me to let this really sink into my heart here. It says, um, chapter, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been what? Was that, was that, a, was that a picture of an of a, of a eyedropper? No, His love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's important. Keep in mind, when did Christ die? While you were still weak. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In other words, he says, look, when, when you were God's enemy and you were powerless and you were weak, God died for you and poured out his love and gave you his Holy Spirit as a gift. 
Isn't that sad how Satan's convinced us now we got to be good enough to receive the love of God? Folks, when you were powerless, wicked, deserving of death, his enemy, he poured out his love towards you. And he died for your sins. And then he said, I want you to receive this free gift. It's already been paid for. You receive it by faith. If he offered it to you when you were wicked, now that you've been made righteous, why do we think that we have to be good enough now so God will give us his love? You see how Satan's gotten into our heads? Built those strongholds? I've asked many a Christian all across the country on a scale of one to ten, how does God see you today? Mm -hmm, three. The answer is ten. That doesn't mean there aren't things he's working on with you. But because of the righteousness of Christ, remember last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. We're in that process. You're that Polaroid picture. The picture's been taken. It's there, but it's not developed yet. We'll see it in time, but it's there. The sooner you... I'm sorry? Exactly. Yep. Now... The love of God has been designed by God to be comprehended in community together with all the saints. Now, we're going to move into something I, I want to do real quick so we can get into that last part that I talked to you about, John, that I want to end up with. But Bible's real clear, folks, that if we don't love others, if we don't share this love, we haven't really received God's love. And I want to look at some scriptures real quick that deal with this. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. If someone doesn't know where 1 Thessalonians is, someone tell them how to find it. Go to 2 Thessalonians. Very good. Yeah. And then back up one book. You remember. Very nice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Now look closely what it says here. Paul says to these Christians, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. Why? For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. You're going to see this in the scriptures, that if you really have received the love of God and you understand and you're receiving the love of God, it's going to naturally spill out. The Bible's very clear on that. Now, again, it's not my job to say you're saved and you're not saved. That's between you and God. I'm just going to share with you what the scripture says. But he says, you've been taught by God to love one another. It's just a natural outflow. In Philippians, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, if you want to go look at those later on, Paul says, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, any comfort from His love, any compassion and tenderness, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same purpose. Don't consider your needs more important than others. But you see what he said? He said, before he told them how to treat each other, he said, it all comes out of our relationship with God. Folks, if you really understand the love of God, you don't care if they took your parking space on Sunday. If you really got the love of God, you don't care if they're sitting in your pew. If you really got the love of God, all that kind of stuff, what can they do to me? God's got me. I'm good. Hallelujah. He's, he's promised to supply all my needs according to his riches. If I didn't get picked for the job, God still got me. If I didn't get picked for the solo, who cares? I'm resting in God. But many of us, we keep looking at how, you know how some we fight with each other? Because we think somehow you're going to make it so I miss out on something. You really don't understand the love of God for you. You still don't understand the riches of His glory. You still don't understand what's available to you. Would you just rest in the fact that He's already got you and He's going to finish and He's a good God and He's a generous God? Well, Jim, I haven't really. That's where that stronghold problem is. you got a stronghold problem. It, and the stronghold is not your doubt. The stronghold is that mindset that says you don't really know who God is. It's blocked you to the knowledge of the, who he really, really is and the power that's available to you. Go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, look at verses 7 through 21. It can't get any more clear than this. First John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. There it is again. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What did Jesus say? By this all men will know that you're my disciples, by your what? You want to move into understanding the height, the width, the depth, the breadth, the love of God? It has to happen in community. It has to happen in community. That doesn't mean you're supposed to know and love everybody in your church, because you won't know everybody in your church. But are you plugged together with other believers? Are you getting to know them? Are you guys, are you intimate in the fact that, like you've heard me say before, you know whether or not they drink 2% of whole milk? You know whether or not they got a cat litter box and whether or not it needs to be changed? I mean, this is more than just going to church, hey, brother, hey, sister. This is moving into a depth of understanding each other, that you're in each other's homes, you're eating together. Like Ken and I had lunch yesterday together and just... I love that we get together, he buys. <laughs> Folks, I like the fact that I can mess with Rita and I know she won't flatten my tires. <laughs> she may pay someone to do it, but she wouldn't do it. <laughs> but folks, all, all the way around, if you really wanna move into it, don't, it can't happen on your own. It can't happen on your own. How is God gonna show you? I don't know, but I can tell you he will. But you got to believe it. Everything that he has for you is received by believing in faith that he will. And so Paul says, my prayer is that God would give you the strength to comprehend this unknowable love, if you will, and that you'll start moving into it, that you would just start to dive into it and go from there. But look at what he says here. Look at verse 21, and this will be how we wrap up. And John, this goes right back to what you were talking about. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let me tell you something about the commands of God, especially in the New Testament, that will help you. What were the purposes of the commands of God in the Old Testament? What was their purpose? To show us what? That what? That we need saving. They were to show us we couldn't do it. The Bible's very clear that God gave us His Ten Commandments. He gave us His law, and the purpose of it was to show us we can't do it. That's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you know, when he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus didn't say, believe in me. He said, keep the law. Why did he tell him to keep the law? Romans 3.20 says, no one will be declared righteous by keeping the law. It's, oh, through the law we become conscious of sin, the rest of that verse says. So here's this guy. He wants to go to heaven. Jesus says, go keep the law. The guy says, I have since my youth. Was he right? No, the Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. So what Jesus does is, is he just repackages the law when he says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. All he says is this, hey guy, you sound pretty impressive. That's awesome. You're able to keep the whole law. I summed it up into two things. You can do the whole, keep the whole law by just doing these two things. Love God with everything you got and love your neighbor as yourself. If you're able to keep the whole law, this will be easy for you. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor. That's that neighbor thing and come follow me. And the guy went away sad. What was Jesus just doing? He was helping him to realize you can't do it. The purpose of the law was to show us we can't keep it. It's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Once you realize you can't keep the law, I'm not righteous, now you're ready for the good news. Here's the problem. We haven't understood that even after salvation, all of his New Testament commands are the same thing. Everything he commands of us, you can't do it. But I'm saved. Great. 
But unless you know how to let Jesus live it through you, what does Paul say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, yet I do live. And the life I live, I live now by faith in the Son of God. And he's living his life through me pretty much is what it is. Folks, when you see these commands, here's the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must love his brother. If you go out to try to love your brother, guess what? You won't. Even though you're saved. But that's why Paul says, my prayer is that you would have the strength from God to do what it is that I'm praying for you. So you got a problem in any of these areas. You do not say, I need to be more patient. I need to be more kind. No, no, no. Guess what? I used to preach that way. I did a whole series on the fruit of the spirit. I hope it, I'm glad tape recorders don't work anymore because it was recorded on cassette tape. But I preached years ago at Indy Atlantic when I was a youth pastor, a whole series on the fruit of the spirit. And the first sermon was on, you need to be more patient and you need to be more kind. Now I come to realize I was just telling everybody to go try to walk on water. You know, you can't. But it's an evidence of the Spirit of God being within us. And so he shows us his commands to show us again what he's expecting of us that only he can do. So that's why we need to go back to him on a regular basis and lay ourselves on the altar, our bodies on the altar, and renew our minds and say, apart from you, I can do nothing. But you said this is something you want for me, so it's possible, and I believe it, and I want it. And like I told you, as I have been appropriating these truths in my life, I've been seeing God give me victory in areas that I haven't had victory for a long, long time. But it's because I'm now just saying, God, you said you would, and I believe you. And as I avoid those things that are a temptation, he takes it from there. He takes it from there. Now, I'm going to give you a quick three minute, because we got four minutes left. I'm going to give you a quick three minute commercial for next week. I'm going to show you two verses real quick. Is we're going to come back next week and move into that third part of the prayer that we may experience the fullness of God. Doesn't that sound pretty cool? Scary at the same time? Go with me to real quickly to uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and look at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2. This is just a commercial for next, next week. Hebrews 2, verse 14. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, likewise, that's Jesus, partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Look closely at what the Hebrew writer is saying. He said, since we have flesh and blood, Jesus took on and partook of flesh and blood so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because a man sinned, man had to die. But look what it says. It says, since we have flesh and blood, Jesus partook of what? Flesh and blood. All right. Keep that partook in mind and go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of what? The divine nature. Does that bait you a little bit for next week? Jesus took on flesh so that we could take on the divine nature. Jesus experienced flesh and blood so that we can experience. We're not going to become God. He's always going to be God and we're not. Yet, because of the power of God living within us, we can experience as Paul called it the fullness of God. And you'll, by the way, I'll show you tomorrow, or tomorrow, sorry, next Tuesday, all the other places that he uses that term. But the Bible says that we can actually move into experience partaking of the divine nature, experiencing supernaturally really the power of God. Again, you know me. I'm not one of these guys that's going to take this stuff into unbiblical realms. But I also want to go with what the Bible teaches, and I don't want to stay away from it, and we're going to deal with it. So for tonight, I know I'd like to experience more of the height, the width, and the breadth of the love of God. But I also know I can't do it. But if I ask him, he will. He will. He will. What if it doesn't happen tomorrow? He will. What if it doesn't happen next week? He will. What if no one hands me any persimmons in the next month? He will. He will. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you again for this chance to study your word. And it always amazes me how fast this hour goes. But Lord, at the same time, you've already shown us a lot. And as has already been acknowledged and is even more clear probably now to all of us, what 
you, what you're praying for us as well through Paul and Paul's praying through you. Lord, it's, it's more than we ever could imagine, ask or think. And that's what your word says. It's, it's mind blowing. But your word says you're able to do even more than we can imagine, ask or think. And so, Lord, I want to move into that. I don't want to run outside of your word and into the flesh and trying to make you into what I want you to be. I want to stay lined up with the truth of your word. And you'll, you'll keep us there as a heart in the right place. Yet at the same time, Lord, I'm excited because of what you're already doing in my life and showing me what this, what this experience actually is and how I'm seeing the change and the peace that passes understanding and this rest that you've promised. I pray that for my friends here. I pray that for my brothers and sisters, not only the ones that are in this room, but those that are listening right now around the country and around the world on the website. Father, may what you have for us that you want us to receive by faith, may it happen as we turn to you. And I thank you that we already know that prayer is going to be answered because we're asking according to your will. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.